1 Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Welcome to another episode of Recovery, uh, which is a show about leaving ministry or doing ministry different, or what does it mean when you no longer are doing ministry in the way you used to? Is that a good way of putting it? That is a great way of putting it. I love that, yeah. Sarah. And I am Sarah Heath, who was in ministry for 16 years. I'm still in ministry in some ways, but I am no longer serving a local church, which we'll get into in one episode for sure. And this is. Uh, this is Justin Gentry. I was also in ministry for a decade and change, and now I am not. <laughs> Which is what this episode is about. Which is what it's about. Yes. I still find myself fascinated about the discussion of the way the divine and religion plays into the world we live in. Sometimes I wonder if that isn't just me trying to still justify these degrees that I got, but you, yeah, you got a few degrees. So there's that, but I, I, it is a fascinating discussion for me. And it's, I think my own personal journey is fascinating to me. Um, and so I'm still in this in some ways, like you, like you had said, in some ways I'm still in ministry, quote unquote, but it is nothing like what I used to do. And it's, which is what makes it so great. So when we start, started talking about this project together, we thought that the first couple of episodes would really just be sort of sharing our story so that then when we talk about the more practical, um, there's a sense of, oh, you know, me too, where people have been with us as well. I am not alone. There's power in that. And there's also like, I think it's helpful to kind of know how we got here. So we decided we would do episodes that uh, kind of talked about how did I get here? And so uh, we're going to start by talking a little bit about Justin's story. So Justin, yeah. let's start out with, did you grow up in a religious sphere? Yes, very much so. I was, as they say, born and raised in church. You know, it was very, very much a part of our lives. It, it's interesting, though, when I look back at even my parents and my grandparents' faith weren't necessarily fundamentalist per se. But those were the spaces I ended up in. I went to a private Christian school. I think, you know, my, my mom in particular really wanted me to have a good education, quote unquote, uh, and a better experience of school than she had. And her solution was to send me to a private Christian school that probably she didn't know at the time was very fundamentalist and probably still is. So a lot of my fundamentalist influences and the trauma and weirdness that comes from that really didn't come from my home necessarily. It was from church experiences and school experiences. So, so how old were you when you kind of took it on as your own? uh, I think probably elementary school ish, but really not until high school that I was like all in, so to speak. I actually remember this was, this was at school. This is the strange thing about going to a Christian school. There was an altar call 
At school. No, at school? At school. Oh, we have tons of, we have these every week. We had chapel every week at school. People got saved at school? Oh, yeah. Like, and I remember it was, I was maybe six, seven years old and we were like shuffling out. They kind of basically said, if you want to get saved, stay in your seat. And then they dismissed everybody else. And I remember like, it's like the opposite of an altar call. Yeah. Well, this particular one was, yeah. You have to stay. Yeah. I remember being like, why are you kids staying here? Like, they're like, we're going to get saved. I was like, aren't we all saved? Like, oh, this Christian universalist yeah, justice. Yeah, yeah, like I was already budding that universalist was there, and then he was squashed for about twenty years, and he's back now. Don't worry, he's back, guys. Don't worry. So you stayed, and what happened then? It, well, in this this particular scenario, I was not staying, but I stayed. I stayed in these spaces for mm-hmm. for a long time. Uh, I think, you know, it was, you know, this is where my friends were. This is mm-hmm. where I found value and belonging. Like I, I didn't do very well in school, but, you know, I had youth pastors that were, you know, saying, hey, you have leadership qualities. Why don't we put you on this team? Why don't we put you in charge of this? You know, and my, my youth group experience, I, I know that some people's youth group experiences are traumatic in every sense of that word. Mine was not. Mine was relatively wholesome. Obviously, purity culture, all those things that you have to kind of undo. Obviously, just like a little smidge of purity culture. Yeah, there's a lot of things I had to undo later. But as far as just the baseline, like I had good friends, I had decent youth pastors, even when they stumbled and fell and cheated and whatnot. It was not as, as bad as it could have been. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it was just a good experience. And it was one of those things that was like, well, you know, why don't I keep doing this? Like I was, you know, you get to 18, you're like, okay, what am I going to do? What I'm going to go to college for. I was originally going to be pre-med at the college I was going to. That's so funny. I was pre-med, but anyway. Yeah. Wild. It's, you know, I wanted to heal people. I don't, it, it was more, I took an aptitude test and they're like, you could be a doctor or a physician's assistant or whatever. And like, so you should be was the, was the thing. <laughs> like, I don't really want to do this. And it just so happened the summer before I went, I felt a call to ministry and then as luck would have it or as God ordained it, depending on how you would put it, uh, the school, the school I was already accepted to had a ministry program. So I just, I just changed to that. So that's, that's kind of how I got into ministry and my calling. Yeah. I I want to talk about calling as a vocation. I think that's an important thing because one of the things that I think as we talk about recovery or moving out of ministry is that I think one of the most painful things isn't just letting go. So one of the spheres you talked about was friends. Mm-hmm. And I think the other part is this idea of calling. What do I do yeah. when, did I hear the wrong thing? Or so what was it? What yeah. was that for you? I, you know, several times in my life, I felt... And we can go, uh, uh, there's maybe a couple of these I think we should go into, but I think the first one, I don't remember a lot about it simply because it was, you know, I was 18, not that age anymore. And I think it was just, I felt just a strong sense of, you know, this is what I should do. You know, I should be a pastor. I should be in church. Like, this is what I enjoy. This is the environment I seem to thrive in. Like, why would I not continue to do this? And there was a lot of, you know, I, I had a lot of, bad ideas about money that you know this the church will give you that and so it was like i don't want to i don't want to make money i want to serve god you know kind of (laughs) if if anyone gets any advice 
from this podcast at all. That is a bad way to start your life. Uh, <laughs> yes. And there's always a yes. And right. Yeah. So uh, le- I, I learned way too late that that's not a good fiscal policy, but, but, but I think it was just that reaction to, you know, people saying you could be a doctor and you could make lots of money and do this. Like, no, I'm going to be a pastor. This is how I'm going to heal people. It, and I, I don't, I don't, I, I wrestle with it. I think now looking back, because I obviously am not in ministry anymore. Was that? Was there like I, a? Okay, so two questions. Yeah, go ahead. First question. So when we talk about like the moment of like salvation, do you have like a particular moment for that? Or and this is like a layered question. Which, by the way, in my coaching school, they're telling us never do layered questions. Oh, and fine. then the, my second question is. Do you have like a moment of calling? So moment of salvation, moment of calling. Cause that's the thing that I found so fascinating about American Christians is so often there's like, this was the moment I can say that was the moment I got saved. Yeah. Uh, I like almost down to like the time of day. And then <laughs> the other people are, you know. I don't know that I have a moment of salvation. I, I mean, I have moments where I rededicated my life, quote unquote, you know, but I just, I, I think it's just because I was, I was born into it. I was born a Christian in mm-hmm. most senses of the word. Like I, it's not, there wasn't, there wasn't a menu of options in front of me and I picked them. It just kind of happened. I mean, and yeah, there were times I confessed my sins. There were times I, you know, went to altar calls for various, but there reasons. wasn't like a moment. There's not a yeah. moment that I can go like, yep, that's when I got saved. Yeah. Which that language even is so weird. Anyway, yeah, it's, it is so weird, especially the, the more you study theology, the more you're like, this is whatever. Mm-mm, but that's I, not a thing. You know, like Americans, you know, capitalists, we got to we got to measure. We got to measure and date these, you know, moments right. so that we can right. sell plaques and whatever. Right. Let's say, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, whatever. And I don't have that. And honestly, I don't know that I have that for ministry. There have been me two moments where. I remember talking to a pastor at our church and, you know, them saying like, well, maybe God is calling you to ministry and that like almost being like a gong in my head, of like, oh, 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 shit, maybe God is got to clean up my language, <laughs> I guess. And there were there was a one or two like kind of more spiritual moments of just me kind of breaking down and crying and just like, you know trying to piece together what I was supposed to do with my life and coming to some kind of peace about like, I need to take this step. And so, I mean, and these were real moments, you know? Right. I was just going to say, I think that's something that's important is to admit that to ourselves and like the value of that moment, right? There Mm -hmm. was that, I just love the language as we talked about a little bit last time. I love the language of Richard Rohr, the transcendent include, like, it's okay to say that this is who I was without having that to need to be, this is who I am. And this idea that like all of that was just emotional manipulation. And I think you get to a point where you go, or that was like a, that was however you want to talk about it. That was a important formational moment in my life. And although it might be not the language I would use now, or that doesn't reflect Justin of today, it doesn't negate Justin of then. Yeah. I I think, and I, I, you, everyone will go through the period of being angry. And there's a certain, there's a certain level of anger in the sense that I think the super fundamentalist and conservative strains of Christianity did take a lot from my youth, quote unquote. And that's fair. And I think a lot of people have that. But I also think that I, I'm an adult now and I can reframe my past however I want. That to me is the beauty of being an adult. (laughs) 
obviously trauma and things you have to work through with, but you know, I could, I can spend my, the rest of my days being angry that I didn't get the youth that maybe I should have gotten or could have gotten, or I can be like, you know what? I did have these real moments and I felt genuine love and genuine acceptance as, as I could. And it's still something I wrestle with, you know, looking back at those moments and being like, you know, would I have made a different choice? Could I even have made one given who I was? Is, is there, you know, nine out of 10 universes? I'm a youth pastor, you know, <laughs> like, is it just like, this is, you know, in all the multiverse, like most of those Justin ended up the same person he is right now. I don't know. So you were, you studied ministry, yeah. went into ministry. So when, I don't know, because I, I, my story, what we'll eventually get to is very different where I, I went to a state school. I don't, I don't know much about Christian colleges. Mm-hmm. What does studying ministry look like in undergrad? I just, uh, it's interesting. It, yeah. It's, it's fascinating, especially because I went to a liberal arts school that had a ministry department that trained people for ministry. But, you know, I also have friends that are business majors. I have friends that are, you know, still pre-med people. You know, the woman I ended up marrying, my spouse, she was pre-med for a while. And so it was, you know, she was, you know, doing all the biology stuff. I'm doing all the Which makes Christian sense stuff. with her career. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it was interesting in the sense that we're, it's not just all Bible stuff that we're, that we're learning. But, you know, you have, you have curfews that got to be in at midnight, you can't, you know, no <laughs> girls in the guy's dorm, no guys in the girl's dorm. Okay. The you weird know, thing is, is I went dancing, to a state you know. school in Mississippi. Oh, so you had this too. In the early <laughs> 2000s. Yeah. Then I went for grad school in still in the South, but at a more Ivy league type of school and our <laughs> like, <laughs> So I was used to sorority girl lived in the sorority house or sorority dorm. So boys had to like check in and out. And then I went to graduate school where I was an RA and on my floor were boys. I had boys and girls living in the same floor. And I remember thinking, okay, this is fine. This is cool. Mm -hmm. This is fine. Yeah. This is cool. Whereas when I was in college, I remember having to check boyfriends in and out and we will dive into that eventually, but we had a sorority sister whose job it was to make sure that our boyfriends had signed out. Oh, geez. Yeah. That was, you know, we, when I was an RA at my Christian school and it was, we had like open dorms, you know, like two nights a week or something where girls could come in. Oh yeah. Then we had to go like they had to sign in. You had to go room to room to, you know, get all the girls out. What time was the witching hour? Like when they had to get kicked out? Yeah. It was like 10 p.m. or something. Like <gasps> oh, ours was out. like 2 a.m. So oh. it was a little bit different. Or maybe yeah. midnight, I think it was. But then from fraternity houses, I think we had to be out of the frat houses by, was it midnight? I can't remember. Okay, so I'm imagining Justin, he's stepping into the world mm-hmm. and he ends up being a youth pastor. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So I actually went, I moved to, right after college, I moved to Miami, Florida to be a part of a vineyard church. <gasps> Which is Miami. Canadian. Uh, yeah. Did you know that? I think, yeah, John Wimber. Yeah, I remember all the, yeah, was, wasn't he Canadian or something? I remember mm-hmm. there being Canadian things. I just said, mm-hmm, yeah. like, I know, I don't know. I just yeah. know that okay. vineyard has Canadian roots. That's all I know. So it's, you know, it's Canadian. Who's going to call us on it, right? I don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, a lot of my friends are Canadians. <laughs> So I went down there and the, and it was, it was actually great. It was a multicultural experience. Um, I was an intern, you know, they, I'm not even kidding. They were paying me like 
maybe a hundred dollars a week and they put me in like they gave me housing with a family that oh you because like, you were wait so you met your wife in college yeah we didn't get married till like a year or two after college though oh, okay so i think okay. we were dating. So you're not we were, like you're not like every christian boy you're just no, like no i i graduated from college not engaged so shocking yeah i know so yeah i like actually Lindsay and i started dating like maybe the last month of college it was just kind of like a, oh i like you you like me let's the just guy i was dating goes. my senior year of college ended up getting back with his ex and marrying her now they have a lot of children but wow. they are so cool they're the coolest couple and i'm like hmm feels like i yeah college guys guys college yeah. okay yeah college so you're interning yeah i'm interning there and it was it was a good experience but it was also one of those i'm like okay there you know, it was kind of one of those like we'll we'll hire you on as an intern and you'll do your thing and you'll get experience and you know maybe we'll hire you on full time maybe we won't oh oh and they they did not <laughs> so i was there you know maybe about 5 6 months and you know i'm i'm starting to like all right so i've been living like on 100 dollars a week here Ugh. It might have been 152. I it was I mean, it was abysmal. I remember it was you know it was a stipend for sure. And they were just kind of like, yeah, there's just not there's not room in the budget right now. Like you're welcome to stay on, yeah, as an intern. But we're not. Some of the things we need to recover from is that there's not room in the budget conversation. Yeah, yeah. That's how I mean, it, it's like, guys. I just I'm going to give you a little behind the scenes as a former lead pastor. That is code for it's not us, it's you. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. 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 It was, it was or it's not you, it's me. Yeah. It's not you, it's me, is there is not room in the budget. Yeah, I think they were intrigued by me and they were like, yeah, they, it was kind of like a this kid's interesting. We ought to snag him up. And then like, I don't know that we have a use for him necessarily, but I'm glad we got him. Like it's kind of how it felt in some ways. Cause I remember being like, what what am I supposed to be doing? Like there's not, there's not really a job description necessarily. I'm making like PowerPoint slides for the youth pastor, like all that to say I left that. And the job that I got was a job at a church in semi-rural Michigan. Okay. So I go from, you know, very cosmopolitan church in Miami, Florida to a very small church in Michigan, about 30 minutes away from Toledo, Ohio. Did you know Justin and Adrian in Miami? No, no, I didn't know this. Okay. Um, so that Wait, was a I lot mean, of Adrian and Josh, you no, were Justin. No, I did not know them uh, at that time. I, who knows? For all I know, we might have bumped into each other, but I did not. Because they're them. in Miami, right? Yeah. Our Dirty Rotten Church Kids friends from the Reverend Media Podcast group. Yeah. That's who I meant. So, and that, that began my journey of like being a real ministry, you know, because I, I do have a budget now and I have, you know, I'm interviewing volunteers and I'm building ministries and trying to do the thing. And this is when, you know, when I got engaged and married and, and learning about church stuff and realizing my education is not sufficient. It was, you know, a, a great, I can parse Greek, but this does nothing for most people and most students. Turns either. out. Turns out you can find most of that on the internet. And what you really need is managerial and nonprofit management skills. So the thing I, I love to ask people is, as you're entering into this, what were your spiritual practices for yourself? Yeah, um, I spent a lot of time 
in the woods. Um, there was a couple parks and like wooded areas that I would just like leave and go to. And, you know, it, it's interesting. I think I, my relationship to the Bible, particularly, you know, I'm telling people, you got to read the Bible devotionally. You got to, you know, like, this is what you tell people. But after a while, it's like the Bible is my job. And so it doesn't do a lot for me. So I'm going to go for a walk in the woods. I'm going to. I would just find that so fascinating because now part of your playtime, part of your like fun, I'm just going to goof around time is talking about the Bible with your other podcast. That's true. uh, Go home Bible, you're drunk. Yes. Uh, Which we have to be honest, like if we just didn't care, we just wouldn't talk about, but it clearly still matters in yes, some way, matters. shape, and form. It still matters. It still matters, I think. And, you know, I said this last week, I, I don't now consider myself a Christian necessarily, mostly from the branding perspective. Like, I've, you know, <laughs> because like, and, you know, those of you that are pastors are, that are listening to this know, like when you tell people you're a pastor, you're constantly like, then like before that even gets out of your mouth you're also following it up with but not that kind right and so it requires this you know conversation to parse out what kind of pastor i am right and and a christian is the same thing i think like yeah we're christian but uh, you know and then there's just so many boxes you have to tick and it's i mean guys i'm telling you it is like pure bliss to just tell someone you're an agnostic and that's the end like <laughs> yeah. that's all Turns you out. have to say and and if they want to know more then you can talk about it but there's not as many caveats and not as many right. like you know I, I think for me once I left and I I wasn't being paid to defend the brand so to speak it was just so much easier for me to be like eh, I, I don't need to defend this brand anymore like right. I, I have I have my relationship to the bible and my relationship to Jesus and the church, like, and they're shifting and changing, but I can just let that be. And I don't need to like shout that, that out to the, to the world anymore, even though I'm doing this on the podcast now. Yes, I know. I think there's, I think it's part of the journey. So you're in it. Yeah. You have the spiritual practice of maybe not daily devotional or your quiet mm-hmm. time, which was always such a fun language for me, for oh, people gosh. to say. and. You're in the midst of doing youth ministry. You get your first job, your first budget. Really, the question is kind of like, can you fast forward to how you got out of it? Like, what was so you had a calling yeah. in? What was the calling out? And yeah. then, yeah, so we'll do that as well. Yeah. And I, I bounced around to different churches. I was at that church for probably about two and a half years or so. And, and that was, it was a rough experience. I think I, I've always had kind of a foot in foot out mentality in a lot of ways. I think it's just mm. more just my curiosity. Like I don't have any tattoos, not because I don't like tattoos or don't want one. I just haven't found a design that I want to incorporate on my body forever. Like mm. I've not like settled on one which, you know, that can be a positive character trait or a negative one, depending on your perspective. So I, I've always been evaluating who I am in various stages. Great, right. So, I, you know, I got a master's degree later on, kind of did some odd jobs here and there. I was a church planner for a while. And throughout, I'd had good experiences, but I kept having negative experiences too. I would have shitty bosses that had no, no, no business being in power over people without a lot of therapy. And I had good bosses too. but. It wasn't ever the bad experiences necessarily that 
pushed me out. Okay. Because I always kept telling myself the next church will be better or I'm a better person now for having experienced this. And, you know, I will, when I'm, when I'm the boss, I won't be this person. But I think I began to see, it started really unraveling a little bit for me, particularly around the LGBTQ. I hate saying the LGBTQ issue because that seems like a very evangelical it's not, way to yeah, describe it. Yeah, it's not an it, issue. Not an it's issue. a person. It's the, Yeah, the treatment of LGBTQ people in the our church. Our siblings, yes. Our, you know, our brothers and sisters in humanity and in Christ, if you want to use that language. Um, mm-hmm. And I really started asking the question, the things that we're teaching people about this group of people, what is that doing to them? Like, what does holding this belief that this person is essentially, you know, flawed or subhuman or however you want, you know, they wouldn't and it's say an interesting that, thing it, because it is a, I think a lot of folks that I've talked to, this is the, this is the conversation that happened for them. And it's such a privilege if you are cisgender heterosexual to not even have to worry about it until like a certain point in like your yeah. mid twenties, because yeah. you almost, I don't know if you feel this way, but you're almost shielded from it in some ways because you're led to believe that somehow that, you know, it's an issue that you can decide on later as if it's not people and, you know, brothers and sisters and siblings and, you know, non-binary, whatever it might be like where they're the conversation is often had without the person, people in the room. And it is like a, it's something I get to decide on later. And I think that's the sort of the fallacy. Yeah. And it's, it's more of a, I happen to notice that I happen to notice like a slow movement are, in Yeah, the, I happen to notice that maybe the way that we talk about these people is not good. Like right. it, it was not ever in my face. And I knew people that were gay and you know, they were, some of them went to anything in Wesleyan. But it was always a like, oh, okay. Like it just, yeah, it was not in my face. And it is a privilege. And especially as a white man, evangelicalism worked for me. Right. Yeah. You're who the game is uh, slated towards. It is set up for me to succeed and be happy in. And so like that I even noticed was a grace, if you want to call it that. Certainly not something I went looking for, but then like my curiosity, I start pulling that thread and I started really start asking those questions. And then I became quietly affirming as you do as a white cis man, you know, like <laughs> you're quietly affirming, but you're still in the system benefiting from it. And, uh, and it, it just, it, that began a falling away. I think too, there was a death of a friend of mine. She was a little younger than me diagnosed with cancer in November. And then she had died the following October. So very quick. And, you know, I mean, you're around death as a pastor. You do funerals, you do tragic funerals. The first funeral I was ever at as a pastor was a guy that was younger than me. So you're around that. This particular one hit me much harder and much harder in the sense of like, maybe she's just gone forever. Maybe, Mm. maybe we don't go to heaven. Maybe we're lying to ourselves. And this isn't to say anything about her, her faith, her family, the choices they made at her funeral. That's, that's them. This is just my reaction, my internal reaction as this is happening. If anyone happens to be listening that knew her or could figure it out. And, you know, they were very religious and, and still are. But it was just like th- that. So that's happening. Beginning to, to I've, I've now fully embraced, you know, my LGBTQ brothers and sisters as much as I can. That's being talked about, you know. And siblings. The, I always remind myself yeah, siblings, there's folks yeah. who are wiggly gendered. As, yeah. as Kevin likes to remind yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. And they're, yeah, the people that don't fit and, and they deserve a place at the table too. So that is all happening in my head. 
and I remember the, I think it was, was it Young Life or Campus Crusade, whatever? They had their big purge of people that was, that were LGBTQ. Yeah, that was Young Life and then also InterVarsity. Yeah, yeah, it was the the InterVarsity one. I remember I was at a beach house, we were on vacation when I found out that news. And that was probably the moment I knew this is over. I can't. Mm -hmm. This is over for me. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. I'm going to get fired or I'm going to have to leave because the boxes you have to tick to be able to ethically call yourself an evangelical pastor, I think. <laughs> I'm unchecking them at a rapid pace at this point. <laughs> and not even, it's not consciously, you know, it, it frustrates me when people talk about people that deconstruct or pastors that deconstruct, oh, they just want to sin or, oh, they can't handle the hard truths or whatever of the gospel. Oh, yeah. It's not that at all. It, if, if, it, when people say that, it's like, you've just never experienced it. But clearly you have not because- for me, it was not something I consciously entered into. Like my life would be in some ways better if I had completely ignored all of this. I kind of always compare it to the matrix. Yeah. Like it's the pill moment. You're like, if you haven't seen the matrix, I hope a spoiler alert 20 years later isn't happening for you. Although I did see a thing where Keanu Reeves is doing another John Wick movie and he looks fantastic. That guy He's doing another matrix movie for goodness. sakes. Oh my God. That man, he does not age. Maybe he, Maybe the Matrix is real, but in the Matrix, there's a moment where he gets to decide whether he takes a pill and he doesn't know that he's in the Matrix or whether he takes a pill and he knows. And I think there's a moment where sometimes you wish you, I, I, I for one, not that this is about my story, but sometimes when I see people who are so comfortable in the system, I think, God, what must it feel like yeah. to feel home? You took that blue pill and you, you, took went, it. you went back to sleep and I, it's not envy. But no. there, there is a certain like, what must it, how nice it must be to be that blissfully ignorant. Yeah. Um, like, and, <laughs> or and just it's, not and it's, have pulled the thread. <laughs> it's not nice because I, you know, I, I remember also going to pastors conferences and hearing and seeing these like revered people, like these are the mm-hmm. pastors that made it, you know, they're going to retire from ministry and meeting them meeting their wives. Um, it's always their wife, you know, even though I was, <laughs> even though I was in a denomination that was fully affirming of women in ministry, they were like two, but like, I think seeing that too, was like, this is the pinnacle. This is what I'm supposed to be reaching for. And Yikes. these people make me sad. Their eyes, oh. look de- their eyes look dead. They are not <laughs> interesting to talk to. Like <laughs> I, and, and it's, I'm trying not to make fun of people, but it's still like, like, that something happened to you to, yeah. to make you shut off the part of you that is interesting. So, and I think that's what it is. I think if you're going to stay in curiosity forever, dies, you've got to kill your curiosity. You have to kill that part of you that see that the part of you that got you into ministry, honestly, that Ooh, like that yeah. desire to know the desire to help people like my, you know, I became, 
you know, fully affirming because I wanted to help people because I saw the damage that was being done. And mm. I felt like, well, I'm going to stay in the system because I, it must be, we have to reform this because we're hurting people. We're killing. People. Yeah. That didn't work out for me, but I, I think that that compassion and that empathy thankfully stuck with me because I do think at a certain point you have to kill it in order to stay in for many people and a lot for of many people. I think there's some, there are some folks who have figured out a way and we'll talk about it to remain curious in, mm-hmm. uh, in ministry. And I think that's the reason why I'm still technically in ministry is because I'm in a part of a denomination with a Bishop who welcomes the curiosity and yeah. welcomes, uh, welcomes yeah. the mystery. And I think that's the curiosity and the mystery are kind of the only thing, like if you remain in that, you're not going to be able to function in most systems, like to still be curious, to still be wondering about the mystery, most systems will squash you. So here you are, you're starting to question the like, go to heaven, uh, go to heaven for free card. And then also this idea of why is it that my siblings who, you know, seem to have a life that lives outside of what the church wants to accept or even an identity outside, even those who aren't living for that. And so what you're, you're at this beach house, you're on family vacation, you know, that all like it's coming, you're thinking about breaking up with church work, but what happens? So, yeah, this was been, this would have been, this was all happening at the same time. Like our friend died then it was like the month later was at this beach house thing. I go to like a liturgist gathering, like in October or November in Chicago. And that was like, Oh, I wasn't at that one. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, this is interesting. Like why I'm, I'm still interested in this God thing, but I, the difference between where I'm at and this thing is so different. So like all this is all these kind of big moments are hitting and I'm starting to start planning my exit. Like, okay, I've got these students that I have a connection to. I have, I feel like I have a responsibility to, to stick with it, but at a certain point, I need to go. So I'm like starting to like get a timetable together, figure this out. Well, you know, that got shattered because some people with money discovered that I was quietly affirming. And how did was, they discover that? Like what, how, what, <laughs> how does that work? Yeah. What, what happened was I was in the process of becoming ordained and they, you know, they ask you pointed questions and mm-hmm. Everyone tells you, well, I shouldn't say this. Everyone tells you in the denomination I was in, everyone tells you to not say anything, to just go, yep, I agree with the denomination. You get your piece of paper, you move on with life. And I could not do that. (laughs) (laughs) So I was just very candid with them. Like, this is something I really struggle with. I I can't sign on the dotted line to, to sign on to. And it was, it was also fascinating to me that you know, there were a ton of beliefs, stated beliefs in this denomination, but they asked you three times on this denominational questionnaire, what your view of marriage was and what your oh, view really? Of, yeah, it was, it was like in, in different ways, they really were trying to catch the gay affirming people. Like oh, it, that it, was it, their it life. Was, it was, it's like it, when you're taking a test, like when I took the, uh, G, not the GRE, is that for graduate school? Uh, yes, maybe. No. No, that's a L- high school no. one. I didn't I, do that one. Now I'm like LSAT. No, that's not right. Nope. Oh no, anyway. Maybe it is. A, anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, the one I was taking for grad school, they asked the same question in several different ways to see how you'll answer. And you're like, I know what you're doing. Yeah. And it was like that. Like it wasn't like they asked you about the Trinity once, divinity of Jesus once, 
God, the Trinity. How do you ask times. about that one? Yeah, okay. You know, like, but it was like, do you believe Father, Son, Holy Spirit? Okay, sure. All do right, you believe check. Jesus, Son of God? Okay, sure. What about gay marriage? Uh, uh, what about gay marriage? Uh, what about uh, what about what about lesbians who are the married? same like, like, gender? <laughs> yeah, it was very same identity get married. Yeah. What up? Yeah, it was very like this is a drag now that I'm like I have a choice now, <laughs> and I'd at, rather be at a drag show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, yeah, I was very honest with them. And, and I, you know, to their credit, they tried to hang with me for a while, but it got to a point where I'm like, okay, folks, like, I'm not going to change my mind on this. You know, I, I, I appreciate you listening and the, you know, district superintendent or, you know, a lot of people would say Bishop was, you know, willing to play ball and just kind of meet with me and see how I was doing. But it, it, when I, when I came out and said, like, I'm not changing my mind here, this is not the more I read, like all the books that you're giving me, I'm reading. And I'm, you're not reading any of the books I'm giving you, but whatever. <laughs> and I'm just not, I'm just not, you're not going to, this isn't going to change my mind. I was like, you know, I'm willing to play with ball. I'm not going to make a big scene out of this, but uh, you know, I, at the end of the day, my views on this aren't going to change. It doesn't mean I'm going to marry two guys in the, in the church secretly. Although I did have a list. I did have a list at the time of people I would marry and lose my job over if they asked. <laughs> Like I did, like I had a list because I, I had students that were LGBTQ and, you know, occasionally you get asked to marry people. And there was a couple, you know, folks that I knew that I'm like, if they ask me to marry them, I will say yes, I will go do it and I will get fired. And that's fine. But it wasn't like I was actively trying to promote my views in the church. But it was after that they sat me down and I had this long, God, this long, long board meeting um, with people that, yeah, I think I think I might have mentioned this last week. That, that their questions about gay people were straight out of like 1980s focus on the family one guy was talking about the mechanics of anal sex and i oh dear like and like how it was so wrong and i was like you do realize straight people do this like <laughs> like like if that's your argument like i will go there and we can talk sex mechanics all night <laughs> <laughs> and I and like, oh, dude, he was squirming so much. But I was like, you know, it was just like one of those things like, have you not thought about this? Like straight people do most of these things as well. Like if and if you're really that interested in people's bedrooms, like, why are you That's on the, the board of this church? To me. That is like, the weird thing to me. Like, why? Why do people care so much about what's happening in other people's bedrooms more than they seem to care about? Like what's happening anywhere? Like, it's the yeah. weirdest how we got so sex yeah. focused. Yeah. And I, I Not asked just them, the church. I mean, yeah, culture, very direct questions. Like, let's say on an off chance, a gay couple with kids comes to our church. What is your response? And like nothing. They have no, you know, like this is a real scenario. Like, because I was living, these are people. In, you know, like these are, these are humans, you know, they have kids. What are you going to say? What are you going to say to that kid about his, mm -hmm. his, his dad and dad? And, and like, they have no answer. So no. it's like, you're not even living in reality here. Not nope. that they would ever come to that church, but I'm just like, like they walk in the door, what do you do? And like, ultimately like, well, we would probably rather them. I think someone said, well, they could probably live together and raise their family. We just want, want them to have sex. And I'm like, so, okay, that's, that's what it is. You're just concerned <laughs> the about sex their bedroom. Part. The sex part. Uh, so you're in that meeting uh, and you're thinking, I cannot. Yeah. And, you know, and there were, I dropped a, I blew their minds. I think they're still reeling because they just kept going on and on about God making them male and female. And I'm like, you know, there are such things as intersex folks. And they're 
like it's like, a large percentage actually yeah it's a it's a big percentage of people you know and i ahead of time because i'm sly we had like gluten-free wafers for communion and i was like folks as a percentage of the population more people are intersex than need to be gluten-free and you're going to make accommodations <laughs> for these folks, but you're not going to even entertain the idea that these other people exist. Like, <laughs> that's a problem. I forget, I don't know what the percentages were, but I, I came pretty prepared. And it was pretty obvious they did not come prepared. And I guess it was fun, maybe. It was, it was actually super stressful. And I definitely felt like I was in front of the Inquisition. It was also one of those things that was like, I... I am very glad in this moment that I am straight and I, mm-hmm. because to have to actually, to have to actually defend my existence would right. be exceedingly torturous. Traumatizing. I, think, I, yeah. think, I think people that are able to do that, that is, right. that is, we a, have friends, we have, like, good we have friends. friends that can do that, you know, cause there were rumors going around about me. Like if all, like, there's no way he could care this much about gay people unless he himself was gay or bi or whatever. And it's like, I, no, I think you can have empathy. Like that tells me so much about your character. Right. That you cannot conceptualize. Fighting for something that's outside of your identity. Yes. Anyway, so it just, it became one of those things like, okay, we have to part ways. And, you know, so they, and I said, you're going to have to fire me. Like, I'm not going to play this. Like, I was like, I, I, you know, I'm not going to make a stink about it, but I'm, I'm not going to do this like preemptive resignation kind of thing or like get in front of the church be like i've decided to go somewhere else god is calling me somewhere else i was like i'm not doing that i'm not like, letting you out easy no like if you're gonna do this you're gonna have to do it you're gonna have to mean it which probably politically and financially was not my best move but i was also i've just had it like i've had it with the squirming and the him hawing and the like uh, just like you're gonna have to fire me and they did you know that. To their so, credit. <laughs> to their credit, they did. And they were fairly honest about why they did it to the congregation, which is fine. I, you know, and I think I found a job. I finally found a job in a corporate space. Um, and I think I think they assumed that I would just go back into ministry somewhere else. You know, and they, they almost viewed it as like a mercy killing or something. Like we're releasing you to go to a church where your views can be affirmed or whatever. Because a lot of them really did like me. There were there were very few, I think, people that were antagonistic toward me. There were a few, but a lot of people were like, we genuinely like you. We just we've reached a relational impasse and we're gonna set you free. But I just I was like, I'm just it broke me in a lot of ways. And so I, I did a corporate job and, you know, I thought maybe I would go back to full-time ministry, but I, the knowing what I knew that I had to leave. And then I think all of a sudden when I didn't have to believe for other people, like mm. my, my faith, just that bottomed out too. It was like, okay. I, like, I'm done. Like I, I can't go back and I, and I, I shouldn't even want to, like, we tried to go to church uh, a couple different places. And it was, and there's actually some fantastic Stonebridge Church in Columbus is a fantastic church, you know, very affirming, delightful place, loved the people there, but it was also, it felt very much when we were sitting there, like, this is a fantastic place. I love that it exists. It's not for me. Mm. And there were a few other churches that we had tried as well. It was just like, this, this is no longer us anymore. And it's a very weird thing to feel because this was my life. For my my entire adult life, this was my life. And then right. to very suddenly be like, yeah, this is not for me anymore. And so much so that it was just like, why would we do this anymore? What is the point? 
So as we get to like hear this part of the story, I think it's really easy to narrate it from where we are now. Mm -hmm. But what were those like feelings? What did what did it feel like the moment they said, yeah, we don't need you anymore? Was there relief? Was there or was it just a mixed bag? I was I was angry the way that they did it, that they fired me, I think looking back now, I can say was the right decision. How they did it was, I think, the gut punch more than anything else. Mm. I was expecting some more time to transition. You know, this was like the middle of the school year. So mm. so I'm, I've got like plans. There are trips planned that I'm not going to go on. They're probably going to get canceled. Trips, events, you know, all kinds of stuff. And so I think at one point it had looked like, okay, we're going to have to part ways, but we're going to part ways on a timetable. Right. Kind of the t- and so we're going to transition you out. And I was like, oh, I'm fine with that. But then it was like, nope, pack up your bags. You got two weeks. Not even that, really. And every event, there was a board member present to like watch what I said, I guess. And that was... To make sure you didn't like throw them yeah, under the bus. Yeah, that was... okay. So I've actually, one of those board members were like, yeah, you know, they told the students, you know, like, I don't really know what we're going to do with this particular class or I forget what it was. And, you know, I, in a moment of unguardedness, I was like, yeah, well, when you make a mess, you better have a plan to clean it up. (laughs) I just was like, I mean, yeah, like I was just, I was so like the way that they did it was so haphazard, honestly, messy. So I think I was I was angry about that more than anything else. It wasn't some I think it was a relief. So the last night that I had it was like a Wednesday night and me and a bunch of students we went out to like probably Applebee's or something for <laughs> disgusting. I remember getting back to the house and I was I was tired and this wasn't I didn't have food poisoning because I almost never get food poisoning that's not what this was but I this is going to be gross but I vomited Mm. more than I have in my entire life like it was Mm. very sudden and very violent um for lack of a better term and I honestly I haven't puked I it had been 10 years since I'd puked and I haven't puked since so it's not I'm not like someone that pukes but it was just I think it was just my body Mm. like and I remember the next morning I did yoga and like my ribs felt like they were cracking open and like mm. I remember taking like a breath and it was like the biggest breath I'd taken it felt like in years and so it was like okay something so like there was a re- in that in that anger there was there was a relief of like having to having to just hold all this in and not question so being able to be free of that was yeah it was a relief for sure I I interviewed at a church probably about a year later just it was like it was local. It was like, well, sure, I'll I'll go do an interview at a church. Why not? And I remember just like, mm, no, no. Like I got halfway through that interview, and I I finished the interview. It wasn't one of those like halfway through, like, oh, this isn't for me. Bye, guys. Like I, I tried to be polite about it, and but it was like, yeah, I hope they don't call me back. And they didn't. Maybe they sensed it too. But it's like, yeah, this I can't do this. I can't go back. If I even if I wanted to, I don't think I could make myself do it. And so this. This new life in the last like five minutes, you now work for a corporate company. Essentially, you're in corporate America, and there has been an unraveling of the need for vocation to meet some of the needs it was meeting before. But what would you say has been the biggest surprise of your recovery as you have 
yeah. stepped out of the thing that you thought you needed so much for so long? Um, I, honestly, I think a couple surprises. I think one being even just being comfortable with mm. saying in myself and and who I am, you know, me saying publicly, I don't consider myself a Christian anymore was a many year long journey to not be worried about what are people going to think? What are people, you know, like, I'm just right. I'm worried about people, what people are going to think if I say I am and I say I'm not like no matter what. So like being much more comfortable in my skin. I think it's also surprising that I'm still interested in religion. I'm still interested in spirituality. I'm still interested in the divine. I am more passionate and growing and more passionate about the work that we're doing and helping ministers figure out how to leave or if they should leave or what does, you know, because getting picked up out of that and getting thrown into corporate America where I have decades of experience, but I'm fighting college students for entry-level jobs, that's a rude awakening. And anything I can do to help somebody make that smoother, I want to do. Because I think the barriers to exit ministry are so strong. Like I should have left sooner than I did. But financial, spiritual, when you when you view like my vocation as my life, you know, that the, that I'm still fascinated in it, but I'm able to have that distance. Mm-hmm. If I, if I mess up or if I, you know, if I miss something or I don't think about it for a week or two, like it's not a big deal. I'll come back to it. Like life can be more than thinking about the next sermon or the next podcast or the next. Right. I think that's a right. That's some of the, that's some of the stuff that we will talk about for sure. But the idea of like, when you're always having to think about the next sermon, how do you take care of your own? spirituality. And then the surprise after is the, that curiosity remains. I think that's great. And that there's space for that. And your vocation doesn't have to be tied to your curiosity, or I think there's a lot of false narrative out there around your vocation needing to be your identity for anyone. And so I'm so glad Justin, that you shared your story of how you got here and why you're here. And I think it's I think it's a story that so many people can relate to. If you're listening to this and you're like the person who knows you're about to have that meeting where you're going to have to hold on Mm -hmm. to who you actually are, just know that it does get better. If you're a person who's in a community that can't hold on to your identity, it does get better. And there are places and spaces for you, but we recognize that there is real grief around having to transition out of wherever you are. And hopefully we can be part of the folks who help you out of that and into something new. I think one of the things I'm most excited about in this, in this adventure is creating community for people who, who get it. You know, we talked a little bit about last time, how even people who are deconstructing don't understand what it's like to deconstruct as a pastor. And so when it's tied to your vocation, and then sometimes, honestly, people who are in the deconstruction world are mean, Uh, they don't mean to be, they're hurt. These are very hurt people, but when you have put your whole life into something, it's hard to hear its totality and and great critique, but hard when you yourself are going through it. So thank you for trusting us with your story. Thank you for sharing it. It is such an incredible thing that um, I, I feel honored that I get to walk with you in life and just that I get to see where you're going next and how, what that looks like. So thank you so much for listening folks. Uh, if you want to share your story, I think it's important for us to say 
We'd love to hear it. Uh, whether you want to email us, it's easy to email me. I'm sure we could get an email for the podcast. Even let's see if we can do that. We'll probably splice in. Yeah. We'll splice in an email (laughs) for the podcast, the way to connect with us. We're just getting going. It's exciting. So thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. Thanks. Have a good one. Hey friends. Thanks for sticking around for a little bit and for listening to my story. I really appreciate it. And I thank you so much for your time. As Sarah said last week, we want to conclude every episode with a poem or some type of reading that we found inspirational on our journey and our you know times of transition. And if you're like me, sometimes when you hear the word poem or there's going to be a poetry reading, your brain just shuts off. And hey, I completely get that. That happens to me all the time. Anytime someone says, hey, let me share this poem, I go, oh God, not another poem. But I have also found that when I do engage with poetry and with intentional words, there is something good that happens. So if you are like me and your brain tends to shut down during the poetry part, I totally get it. But I would encourage you to maybe just stick around once or twice and see if something happens. Uh, Because I think there's some interesting things that begin to happen inside us when we allow certain combinations of words and certain thoughts just to kind of sit with us for a bit and become a part of us throughout our day. This poem I'm going to read is Mary Oliver's The Journey. And it was a poem that I read almost daily, like a mantra or like a prayer even during the end of my time in ministry and also transitioning into life outside. And so I hope that for you, it becomes something that is helpful. And if you want to read it every day or just listen to me read it once, that's fine. But here we go. This is Mary Oliver's The Journey. One day you finally knew what you had to do and began. Though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice. Though the whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug at your ankles. Mend my life, each voice cried. But you didn't stop. You knew what you had to do. Though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundations, though their melancholy was terrible, it was already late enough, and a wild night, and the road full of fallen branches and stones. But little by little, as you left their voice behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds, and there was a new voice, which you slowly recognized as your own, that kept you company, as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life that you could save. Thanks, my friends. Have a great week. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground, and it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. 
You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.